Good morning, everyone. My friends, uh, let us take a look at our first reading from the book of Revelation, uh, which is filled with, it's an account of, in the life of John, and uh, God is trying to communicate to him something, and he's doing it in symbols, because uh, it's such a great mystery. But for us, in this reading, we see what's being described as this battle between God and evil. And then ultimately, as we come to the end of this reading for today, uh, we hear about the triumph of God. And um, St. Paul, in speaking to his Corinthian community, um, he speaks about Christ as being the new Adam. And the new Adam undoes the great harm that has been done by the original man, Adam. And um, our church, the Roman Catholic Church in the the Orthodox churches, we see Mary um, as the new Eve, and thus it is by her obedience and her faith, uh, which, you know, the disobedience of the original Adam and Eve were disobedience and lack of faith and trust in God. So Jesus has all all trust in his Father, and we see Mary, Mary of Nazareth. She has nothing but complete trust and obedience to God, and so she undoes the harm that was done by that original. And my friends, um, in the gospel, we're given an account in the life of Mary, and it seems to be, well, uh, certainly an unusual day. Uh, but as she goes to her cousin, we see it's a day of great grace and peace for that household, which they will need that because her life would not be filled always with such peace, would it? Because they will be after Jesus the whole time. And ultimately, this. And my friends, um, people want to know a little bit more about uh, the book of Revelation. I cannot go through all the symbolism, but for our purpose today, the book of Revelation describes, again, this ultimate battle between God and evil, represented here by the dragon. Remember, in Genesis, it's a serpent. So apparently, the serpent has grown up. According to John, and I'm, you're, I'm taking some grace here. Um, the woman represents the church, and the child represents the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Like the woman in the vision, the church was undergoing suffering and persecution at the time that the beloved one, John, writes these words. We are told that the dragon confronts the woman and desires to devour her child. But the child is taken up to God the Father. This is for us Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox churches a reference to the ascension of Jesus Christ to the hand of the Father. Jesus defeats the dragon and was exalted to God's right hand. The woman, representing the church, flees to the desert to escape persecution. There she is nourished by God, just as were the Israelites of old nourished and protected by God. My friends, the final verse gives praise to the triumph of God and Jesus Christ. The reading was meant to encourage the early Christians because they were under great persecution and hardship. And John wrote this because it's true, but he wrote it so that the early Christians would be encouraged and that they would understand that God ultimately will triumph. And my friends, of course, we are in tough times also, very difficult challenges for us in church. So these words of John are meant for us also, 
God ultimately will triumph. He will protect us. He will come to our rescue. Now, my friends, um, even though the figure of the woman is in the first place represents the church, um, it can also be seen as representing Mary. I believe in the study of this, John the Beloved made this very clear, who he was talking about also. And as the mother of Jesus, Mary was at the very heart of the battle between God and evil. Therefore, is it not entirely fitting that through her assumption, she should share in the victory of her son and the son of God, Jesus, the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth? God would take very special care of this very great disciple, Mary. He would watch out for her because she was faithful and faith-filled. So my friends, the solemnity of the Assumption falls on a Sunday, so we celebrate it with great joy. We have the honor of celebrating a great disciple, Mary of Nazareth, the mother of Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord. In the Gospel, we heard what Luke attributes to her, saying, All generations will call me blessed, because God raises up the lowly one. And she said, And he has exalted his handmaid. The assumption is a singular privilege for Mary because of her most unique union with Jesus Christ, a union of body and soul. It began with the Annunciation when the angel comes to speak with her, and continues with the Incarnation. And then it is graced and enriched over the years with her ever-deep participation in the mystery of her Son, who is also the Son of God. She would follow him as a disciple from the time he was little. Yes, as mom. That was mom. But she is a disciple. And she will follow him through the villages that hate him. And she will follow him wherever he goes. She would follow him to Calvary. She would follow him to his tomb. She would follow him to his resurrection. She would follow him into glory then. Mary's life outside of this was very normal. <laughs> I just presented all these hard things. But it was very normal. Um, as a woman of her time, she would have prayed, she would have worked, and she would have gone to church. Now they called it synagogue or temple. Every action and every prayer were offered in total loving devotion and union with her son, Jesus Christ. On Calvary, this union would be put to the test. But ultimately, it would reach its climax in forgiveness, devotion, love, compassion, and the suffering of a mother's heart as she watched her child be killed. Yes, then, for those reasons, God also granted her a full participation and benefit in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, her Son, the Son of God. Now, my friends, 
we know from the other books of the Bible that there were other people who, um, well, I don't know what other words were, Jesus called back from the dead. The first one that comes to mind is Lazarus. And I joked last mass, and I should be careful, but I said his sisters were so upset that he died that Jesus called them back. But apparently he wasn't finished with work, so Jesus calls Lazarus back. But it was not the resurrected life, for Lazarus would die again. Also, Jesus would give the son back to the widow name. And even in Old Testament, one great prophet laid across the body of someone and cried out to God, and God breathed life back into that body. But that is not resurrected life. That is something different. The body and soul assumption is Mary's exclusive privilege. Her body alone was preserved from the corruption, not unlike her son. The preface of today's Mass, and I'll ask that you listen carefully to it when I return to the altar, says, Rightly, talking to God, you would not allow her to see the corruption of the tomb, since her own body, through it, she marvelously brought forth your incarnate Son, the author of all life. Each of us, then, who are disciples of Jesus Christ, should contemplate this great mystery, which shows forth that God wants to save human beings in their entirety, body and soul. Jesus himself was raised in totality, body and soul. But he is true God. We understand that. And so when we see Mary, without Mary's assumption, we would not have a sign of our own glorious destiny. For she too is human. Jesus is fully human but divine. Mary of Nazareth was human like us. My friends, I bring this up because in ancient times, Greek philosophers understood that the human soul would carry on in some way and would be happy in some way. But those philosophers had great disdain for the body. In fact, Plato wrote that uh, it was some kind of a prison. Maybe some days it feels that way. <laughs> but these philosophers could not, through human reason and intellect, grasp what God was doing and the great dignity of the human body, and that God would ultimately re reunite body and soul in death, after death in heaven. These are all mysteries for us. And this truth only comes from Christian revelation. The awesome mystery of the assumption confirms the unity of the human person. It reminds us that we must glorify the one true and living God with our whole being, our body, and our soul. Were we to serve God with our bodies alone, we would be nothing more than slaves. Were we to serve him only in our soul, we would contradict human nature and the very intimations found in scriptures by all the evangelists and by Jesus himself. So this solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we honor her. But this solemnity speaks to each of us, tells us something about us as disciples. The Assumption means that Jesus' resurrection, his life is transferable to us. 
That is what the second reading is trying to tell you. After our Lord Jesus Christ and Savior, Mary is the first fruit of the first fruits. Jesus is first. But then comes Mary. The assumption affirms the resurrection of the body as we profess in the creed every Sunday. You say and believe in the resurrection of the dead, the translation of the body. Unlike Mary, our bodies will dissolve after death, but her assumption anticipates the general resurrection when our souls and bodies will be reunited also. Listen carefully. You will not be ghosts. You will not be shadows. You will not be phantoms. You will not be flickers of consciousness somewhere in the universe. You will have a transformed body because everything of the human person has been redeemed by Jesus Christ. Everything. Everything. The Christian faith affirms not only the immortality of the soul, but of the entire human person. We do not disdain the body. I watch as older people, they complain a lot, though. I don't work anymore, Father. <laughs> My dear, when you are resurrected, you will have a beautiful body, and it will not hurt you any longer. Even in that, though, we do not disdain. Mary, the mother of Jesus, leads the way into full glory because of her important singular role and union with Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Her assumption, body and soul, into glory was immediate. Ours is delayed. To when, Father? Until that time of completion of God's plan for all of his creation. So we Christians, we disciples of Jesus Christ, we hold on to faith and hope and love, and we anticipate with joy when we Christians, at the conclusion of a life lived in devotion to God, will experience the day of resurrection with our bodies. And then we will be like our mother also. And she is our mother. Jesus, as he hung on the cross, said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And to his mother he said, Behold your son, the disciple. We are his disciples, therefore she is our mother. And you know how moms are. So, not only does mom assist us, with her intercessions and prayers, but also her life and her assumptions shows what waits for us who will remain faithful to Christ. And there is much more to come, my brothers and sisters, because the supernatural living has not been fully revealed to us. There is more. But until then, to God be the glory and the honor and the power for ages, until ages, 
for all eternity. Amen. Alleluia. Do you guys believe this? You better. <laughs> because if not, life here will be really bad for you. And the next will not be very good. <laughs> so my friends, in our church, uh, and, um, we have sacred uh, things in our church. So we, the baptismal font, which, and this is the way into uh, discipleship of Jesus Christ. And we have uh, the great altar of sacrifice. And we have the amble where the word of God is proclaimed. And hopefully through grace, the bishop or priest or deacon opens that word and gives you a homily that matters. <laughs> it's significant. So you know my routine. When I move away from it, I'm moving away out of respect because I want to talk to you about something. My friends, in our church, we have something known as apocrypha. Apocrypha are writings uh, that have been attributed to the apostles or the disciples uh, that do not enter into our canons, our canons, the Bible. And uh, they're in a gray area. And I want to read one to you. That's why I'm, I'm not reading it from the Amble. Um, you can believe it or not. You don't have to. It comes from the Apocrypha, from the account of St. John the Beloved. St. John, who wrote, um, he's writing about the Dormition of Mary. And she lived with him, remember? And uh, this is called Transitus Marii. And it's very beautiful, and it accounts the apostles coming to her. And the Eastern Church, our brothers and sisters of the Eastern Church, refer to Mary's dormition, that she simply went to sleep. So John is writing about the time when she would go to sleep. And the apostles are on the way. And he writes, And when this miracle had been done, what miracle? That she would sleep. The apostles carried the couch and laid down her precious and holy body in Gethsemane in a new tomb. Remember, this is St. John, by tradition, writing about Mother Mary. And behold, a perfume of great sweetness came forth out of the holy sepulcher of Our Lady, the Mother of God. And for three days, the voices of invisible angels were heard glorifying Christ, our God, who had been born of her. And when the third day was ended, the voices were no longer heard. And from that time forth, all of us, the apostles, knew that her spotless and precious body had been transferred to paradise. It's much longer. <laughs> it's seven pages, but I know you don't want that. And so my friends, as your priest, as your pastor, I pray that when the time comes for you to sleep, to make your transition, May angels greet you in loud voices. 
and may your family and friends hear those voices praising God.